0: To the September 16th edition of the Tennessee World Affairs Council's Global News Review. I'm Patrick Ryan. Today, Ambassador Dick Bowers, Dr. Breck Walker, and I will present the top items in global current events and give you analysis and commentary and tell you a little bit about the Tennessee World Affairs Council. Dick, Breck, uh, welcome. Good to see you. Great to be here. Thanks. And, uh, Breck, just a, a, a side note here. You're, you're coming to us from the uh, the hurricane-lashed coast of the Florida Panhandle. How are things in uh, Panama City?
1: Oh, fine, I'm a little bit east of uh, where most of the damage is being done and we haven't had much wind here, but we've had plenty of rain. So uh, I, I'm remaining watertight though, and still have power, so I'm in good shape.
0: Okay. And uh, Dick, you're in uh, uh, suburban Nashville.
2: How's, how's things in your neighborhood? Things so. are... Looking a little cloudy out there, if I can peek out the window. But uh, the lawn man just came and, and finished his job, so I'm ready to go.
0: Okay, well, uh, I'm, I'm glad he's done. We won't have any
2: lawnmowers cranking up. There. And you're, you, you're in a cave, it looks like. Uh, uh, you know. Yeah,
0: I'm, uh, I'm in the bunker. Um, okay. The Printer's Alley bunker here. Uh, 10 feet below ground level at, at Printer's Alley, so we, we look up at the people walking by, but it's, uh, it's an interesting neighborhood. Well, thanks uh, everyone for uh, joining us today. We're going to talk a little bit about the World Affairs Council. We'll give you a preview of a few things we have coming up. And uh, the first thing we're going to talk about is tomorrow night, um, the, the uh, famous Dr. Breck Walker will be uh, chairing a panel in our election 2020 series on uh, the foreign policy challenges of Russia, North Korea, and Afghanistan. And as you can see, he's got a, a terrific, uh, uh, panel lined up, Ambassador Christopher Hill, who was Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for, Near, uh, for East Asian Affairs, uh, as well as having been Ambassador to South Korea and uh, a half a dozen other countries. Uh, Minister Counselor Annie Horsheimer, who was the uh, second in command at the embassy in uh, Kabul, Afghanistan, and went on to be the Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for Afghanistan Issues and Dr. Svetlana Savranskaya, who is a expert on Russia. Uh, the three of them will be on our panel uh, tomorrow night. That's 5.30 p.m. Uh, Central Time in, um, uh, in our election 2020 series. Uh, continuing with that series, we have a, a number of other terrific uh, programs coming up. Um, we uh, have our listing on the tnwac.org calendar, page, you can see uh, who's presenting at those things. We have, uh, again, a, a terrific collection of uh, um, speakers in these, these panels. So check it out, uh, take a look. These are the issues that uh, informed citizens should know about before they go to vote. They should uh, probably be familiar with these things uh, all the time. But as, as we uh, look at uh, voting in November, it's especially important to be up to date on what's going on in the world. And We're doing these uh, programs in connection with the October 22nd debate at Belmont University, our our partner and host uh, and terrific uh, uh, organization to be connected with. Lastly, I'll mention uh, that we uh, just booked a couple of programs on December 9th. Uh, Our World Affairs Council in connection with several others are going to be producing a uh, program on the United Nations 75th anniversary with a look towards the future, what's ahead for the United Nations. Uh, We've invited uh, Ambassador Samantha Power uh, for the keynote address, and uh, we are putting together a terrific panel. So mark the calendar. December 9th, that'll be an evening program. January 28th, the uh, Korean Economic Institute and the World Affairs Councils of America uh, will be uh, helping us put together a program on US-South Korean relations. Looking at uh, the relationship, the economic benefit of trade and investment, uh, especially here in Tennessee, and uh, the, full, uh, uh, the full range of uh, issues in the relationship. There'll be an evening program, and there'll be a small group session uh, for business people who want to talk with uh, uh, the representatives of the Korean Economic Institute, the representatives of the South Korean Embassy in Washington, and the U.S. State Department. So mark that on your calendar, uh, another terrific program coming up uh, from the World Affairs Council. So, gentlemen, um, we've got a lot uh, a lot going on. Uh, I will remind people that uh, we are a nonprofit organization. Uh, what we do is for the public good. We're not funded by any government organization. So we would encourage you to become members. Go to tnwac.org to become a member or to make a gift uh, as you... Uh, probably know from over time, looking at our programming. We do education outreach with high school students. We do international career panels with uh, college students. Uh, We have uh, an opportunity to take uh, students from the Academic World Quest program to Washington uh, and meet with the elected representatives, think tanks, embassies, and so forth. And of course, we do community uh, programs uh, in person uh, before the pandemic, and we look forward to resuming those. But in the meantime, uh, we believe we're putting out uh, some pretty good webinars here that uh, you all are tuning into or checking out in our archive at youtube.com TNWAC. So um, Brett, Dick, um, that's uh, what we've got coming up and, and what we've been up to. And um, Dick, if you want to uh, lead us through our topics
2: today, well, we got three, uh, three topics, Pat. Uh, number one's gonna be TikTok outcome. So corporate buyout of US operations and the role of Trump administration and the TikTok issue. Secondly, uh, World Health Organization. And the t- your title is, we need a better World Health Organization. Well, we'll look at that. Uh, and third, the Mediterranean. It is really a sea of troubles and we'll dig into that. So those are our three topics.
0: Okay, and before we get going, uh, the question of the week, Brett, do you wanna uh, share that with us?
1: You bet, thanks, Pat. The, uh, as I say every week, uh, there is a weekly uh, quiz that you can find on the WAC website. And if you're a member of Tim- WAC and you participate uh, on a weekly basis, you can win a monthly prize. And this is one of the questions from that, uh, from that quiz. And the question is, On the heels of the United Arab Emirates' historic decision to normalize relations with Israel, this nation also announced that it would officially recognize Israel and begin establishing diplomatic and economic ties with the Jewish state. And the possible answers are A, Saudi Arabia, B, and D, Bahrain. And the answer will come at the end. Thanks, Pat.
0: Okay, well, thank you. Uh, well, uh, time to, to jump in. Our, our first topic is uh, TikTok. And uh, uh, that certainly has uh, moved from an obscure application to a, a centerpiece of U.S.-China relations. And, and Breck, I, Brick, I think uh, you've got uh, the lead on uh, walking us through what TikTok is and, and why it's important and uh, what's going on in U.S.-China relations.
1: Well, great. Uh, thanks, Pat. Um, so as Pat said, TikTok has been all over the international business news for the last, uh, well, throughout the summer. And uh, as uh, many of you know, uh, TikTok, what is TikTok? TikTok is a hugely popular, relatively recent app where you can post homemade short videos. Now, I'd never been on TikTok. I'd heard about TikTok forever, but I'd never been on it till yesterday. And I downloaded it yesterday to watch it for five minutes and that five minutes turned into an hour and it was great great fun. It has dance videos, music videos, jokes videos, crazy stunts, uh, how to do something kind of videos and of course my favorite uh, animal videos and my single favorite video. In fact, I thought about putting it up here but uh, couldn't quite figure out the technical uh, requirements for that, but my favorite video was 30 seconds of a hippo eating a whole watermelon. And I, 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 I really recommend you <laughs> miss that. Uh, so you can watch other people's videos, these short sort of 30 second videos, or you can uh, do your own using the app. It has edited editing features and so forth, and you can post it up there for uh, the whole world to see. And sort of the secret sauce of this uh, app, why it seems to be so popular, is uh the 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 30 second video is is uh, a quick watch and evidently grabs everybody's attention the editing tools on the app if you want to post your own visit uh, video are very easy to uh, work with and then most especially there's an algorithm that selects videos you swipe on this app and different videos appear and there's an algorithm algorithm that watches what you are swiping and how long you watch in each individual video. And then it comes up with the videos that it thinks you most will uh, enjoy. And, uh, and apparently that algorithm is working uh, very well. And I'd echo what my, sin, what my son says about uh, TikTok, uh, that it has three things going for it. It's addictive, it's fun, and it's addictive. Uh, Now, when I say hugely popular, uh, one year after its launch, it's one of the top 10 downloaded apps in the world. Uh, They claim to have 2 billion downloads worldwide and over 100 million downloads in the USA in uh, less than two years. And today it's available in some 150 uh, countries. And the audience started out being a teen audience, just sort of goofing around and having a good time being creative but it has quickly spread to uh, adult use in how-to videos, videos dealing with politics, travel, a whole host of uh, different things. So uh, there's been a brouhaha that has developed uh, and uh, the brouhaha is over the Trump administration worrying that TikTok is an impending national security risk. And in particular, U.S. officials are worried that the Chinese government uh, because uh, it often influences uh, Chinese-based companies that it could have a significant influence over TikTok and it's a way for the government to gather information about Americans. U.S. officials worry that, that uh, the Chinese government using TikTok could, could build a huge database covering millions of Americans uh, that uh, they could use to infer different things about each of us individually and even might set up government officials uh, for uh, blackmail and stuff like that, so they're worried that uh, it could be a source of information for the Chinese government. They're also the U.S. officials are also worried that the Chinese government could use TikTok as a way to spread propaganda uh, throughout the world in general, pro-Chinese propaganda, and uh, and in the United States in particular. Uh, now, TikTok. Uh, is owned by a Chinese uh, corporation called ByteDance. ByteDance, of course, says that uh, the Chinese government has never asked it for any information. And if they did ask, uh, ByteDance executives say, well, of course, we would never uh, give it to them. But other countries have expressed similar concerns to the Trump administration and are looking into that. Those countries include uh, the UK and Australia and uh, India, and in part for other reasons, border conflict reasons, has banned uh, TikTok, although they're the only country, I believe, to have uh, done that. So the Trump administration worried about this national security issue on August the 14th, issued an executive order and President Trump announced that ByteDance, the Chinese company, must sell TikTok to a a United States corporation, or in 45 days, the TikTok app would be banned in US markets. It would be taken off our phones and uh, we couldn't download it uh, anymore. Uh, When he announced that, uh, the first group that stepped up to say, hey, this sounds like a far sale price, we'd like to buy, TikTok, or at least TikTok USA, Microsoft and Walmart partnered together and put together a buyout proposal. And this looked like a big political win-win for Trump because he was roughing up the Chinese, TikTok would continue as an app in the United States, and some U.S. corporation was going to get a great deal. In fact, Trump said, President Trump said that the U.S. government should get a commission out of this when, uh, when Microsoft and Walmart close, uh, close the deal. But then the Chinese government threw a little bit of a wrench into that by saying that they would need to approve any technology transfers to non-Chinese companies, which of course means this famous uh, algorithm. And uh, and, the, and the prospect was the Chinese government was not going to approve that, of course. And so that caused Microsoft and uh, Walmart to become a little bit less interested and it certainly caused ByteDance to uh, turn down their uh, offer. So uh, immediately, ByteDance began searching for uh, a different way out of this predicament, and they brought in Oracle. I think Oracle's a very well-known publicly-traded uh, software and technology company. And uh, ByteDance got with Oracle, and Oracle has made a proposal about how to address uh, the Trump administration's security concerns without ByteDance having to uh, sell the company. This proposal was submitted to the US government to this past Monday. It was announced today that uh, the committee that looks into this uh, should have a recommendation on it by uh, Sunday or Monday of next week at the uh, latest. And then it's gonna come down, it is President Trump's decision uh, at the end of the day. There haven't been a lot of details uh, let out about the Oracle proposal at this point, but in broad strokes, Oracle's going to become a minority investor in, uh, in TikTok, that uh, it will become its technology partner and certify the security of the app's data, meaning that all American personal information would be, would be put on an Oracle cloud computer uh, infrastructure, and the Chinese government would not have access to that. And then, as well, TikTok's promise to move their worldwide headquarters to the U.S., and they'd bring 20 to 25,000 uh, jobs with them when they, uh, when they did that. This is, again, President Trump's decision, and he's got a little political risk here as to what, uh, as to what he might do. So most folks are betting that he will approve this uh, transaction, even though it does leave ByteDance, the Chinese company, with majority control of TikTok, and they say they think he'll do it because he doesn't want to irritate the 100 million uh, the $100 million dollar, users uh, in the United States, who all of a sudden wouldn't have access to TikTok. There has been heavy lobbying by uh, the U.S. companies and, exec- and uh, executives involved. And at Oracle, the top two executives have been big supporters of the president throughout his uh, administration. So, uh, of course, the Chinese government would still have to approve the deal as well, but uh, this Oracle deal looks like uh, it's probably going to happen. Pat, I hope it didn't run on.
0: <laughs> no, no, that was terrific. I, I, I now know everything that uh, I've been wanting to know about TikTok. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to download it and start watching uh, the Hippo videos, but uh, uh, it, is, it is interesting. So the, the vulnerability that, that the Americans are concerned about is primarily uh, mining personal data. Is that, is that correct? That's correct. So this and isn't, this, this isn't uh, a, a technology that would somehow um, allow someone to get into our systems.
1: Well, there have been reports unverified that people that, for example, have TikTok on their iPhone There have been a couple of newspaper reports that suggest that uh, TikTok can access certain kinds like clipboard information within one of your other uh, apps and uh, suck that data out. I don't know if that's uh, true or not, but it's mostly uh, overwhelmingly about accessing personal information that you give the app to help it show you hippo videos.
0: Well, you know, uh, the Chinese government has collected, has vacuumed up Millions of uh, files on people uh, there, some years ago there was a hack of the Office of Personnel Management in washington um, and a a vast trove of personal data, including background investigations uh, for security reasons of personnel in in all you know defense department, State Department, and all aspects of government uh, was vacuumed up by the chinese so um, you know they they've got a great starting point to build an, an American database and uh this stuff is useful for for uh counterintelligence purposes uh et cetera, et cetera, and to find people who are vulnerable and and uh you know the the espionage aspects are there as well as probably some commercial aspects as well
1: um, the two other questions it does raise that are sort of bigger picture questions that have gotten a lot of commentary in the press today is uh, what should the United States, or any country for that matter, but what should the United States do, if anything, about technology companies like TikTok, like Facebook, uh, that can really influence our understanding of the world, can influence our view of politics and what's going on. And uh, so that's one of the issues here. And the other one is, you know, uh, and this may be driving part of the Trump administration's uh, concern here as well, is the U.S. seems to be losing, over the last couple of decades, its, techno- its global technology lead in a lot of areas. Yeah. And this also raises the question about uh, how should we as a government uh, and a nation uh, deal with that going forward?
2: Hey, I, would, I would throw out a suggestion. and I'm, you know, I'm not getting paid by Netflix to do this, but Netflix has an excellent documentary called The Silent Dilemma, that deals with with this topic of data mining and, and why you should care, and what's going on with the kind of feedback loops that can be created once they realize who you are, what you are, what you like to eat, or what you like to watch, all that kind of stuff. So, The Silent Dilemma, I recommend it.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's an increasingly thorny issue. And, you know, one of the major problems that the Trump administration has with China, and that American administrations have had for some time, is is the intellectual property transfer, uh, sometimes theft. Um, so you're right. The, uh, the the global ascendancy of uh, technology compared to the former U.S. dominance is uh, is, is an interesting uh, proposition to grapple with. Um, Breck, how, how would you imagine that, you know, uh, besides the collection of data, the the fear that you mentioned is that the Chinese would use TikTok as a propaganda tool? You know, Russia has uh, started TV networks like RT and, and so forth that um, try to uh, appear to be not uh, malevolent uh, communications paths. Uh, but uh, this the way you describe some of these videos, I, I guess uh, I would need to know more about TikTok to see how the Chinese would use in, insert uh, propaganda into the system. There, these these are videos created by the users, right?
1: That's right. Um, but uh, you know, unlike uh, the Russians trying to infiltrate and post uh, false stuff on Facebook, Facebook's got uh, uh, or is at least trying to figure out strategies that prevent that or remove that kind of false information from their uh, app and so forth. And of course, the US, uh, it would be like Facebook being controlled by the Chinese where you wouldn't have any uh, effort to, uh, uh, you know, to uh, uh, thwart these these uh, propaganda videos and so forth. And again, uh, as I said, it, uh, uh, TikTok evidently started out mostly as a teen sensation, but uh, adults are increasingly finding it useful or uh, talking about how to, you know, do recipes for a particular cooking dish or how to fix your car or,
0: uh, and
1: as well, using it for political reports of one sort or another.
0: Interesting uh, topic. We'll have to keep an eye on it and see what uh, what ultimately President Trump decides to do with, uh, with this Oracle deal. Okay, moving on. Uh, the next topic is uh, the world needs a World Health Organization. Uh, Dick, I, I think uh, that's, that's your area of interest and, and you're going to lead us through that this week. Well, the
2: World Health Organization uh, has been in the news lately and primarily for two reasons. Uh, first, uh, because for many, many countries who lack a robust capacity to fight the virus on their own, it's the first line of defense for them against the COVID-19 virus. And secondly, it's been in the news because Donald Trump is mad at the WHO and has formally announced that the US will withdraw from the organization. He says that the WHO was overly political, that it botched the efforts to control the pandemic, and that it is too cozy with China. So what is this World Health Organization? Well, first, it's part of the United Nations system and is one of 15 UN specialized agencies. Basically, the WHO is responsible for international public health. The WHO constitution, which establishes the agency's governing structures and principles states that its main objective is the attainment by all peoples of the highest possible level of health. The organization's headquartered in Geneva, Switzerland. It's got six semi-autonomous regional offices, and 150 field offices. has 194 member states, including at least up to now the United States, uh, which traditionally has provided about 20% of the budget. And about 10% of the WHO staff are Americans, many of whom rotate in and out from the U.S. Center for Disease Control, our CDC. We have been the backbone of that organization since it was established in 1945. And if President Trump has his way, By July 2021, we and our money will all be gone. Now, with the pandemic going on, it seems maybe kind of an odd time for the U.S. to be leaving the world's foremost public health institution. And I think that most WHO watchers think the organization has done a pretty good job in dealing with the pandemic, given the constraints built into the way it works. Nevertheless, the twin threats of Trump and the coronavirus have shined a spotlight on its strengths and weaknesses and raised a lot of questions about its future. Now, it was the WHO was central in the eradication of smallpox years ago, a disease that killed almost 300 million people during the 20th century. It has helped almost wipe out polio, which in the 1980s paralyzed 350,000 people in 125 countries each year. One problem for the WHO, argue some, is that much of its work is invisible. It cooperates closely with governments and lets them take credit for its successes. When things go wrong, of course, it makes a convenient scapegoat, as President Trump has realized. Its response to COVID-19 has come under intense scrutiny, as it it should, and critics say that the WHO declared the COVID-19 a public health emergency far too late. That could be because China withheld information about the novel outbreak. Lately, the WHO has helped to coordinate global efforts to find treatments and vaccine for COVID-19. It's working with drug firms to develop and safeguard the supply of medicines. And it is a key player in COVAX, which is a plan to distribute two billion doses of COVID-19 vaccine in 2021. Last May, the World Health Organization, who is uh, WHO's decision-making forum, requested a full independent evaluation of the agency's response to the pandemic, as well as that of individual countries. And it will be published next year. But regardless of what its conclusions are, many of the WHO's weaknesses are already apparent. Because the agency is severely underfunded, chronically overmandated by member states and weak by design. Joe Biden has promised that America would rejoin the WHO immediately should he win the presidency. So the bottom line, the WHO is not perfect, but it is vital and the world needs a central health organization. COVID-19 does not respect national borders. We need to resist vaccine nationalism, according to the president of the WHO, and the tendency of countries to go it alone. And we need to strengthen, not weaken, the capacities of those institutions so they can do the job of making a vaccine available to all in a sensible, rational, and effective manner. So my vote is to keep the WHO, reform the WHO, and fix what needs fixing, and let the organization get on with its job. Being the forum where countries cooperate on matters of health, so it's uh, out there, and we have just got to decide as a country: Are we going to try to go it alone, or are we going to be part of a worldwide effort to contain these issues?
0: You know, it it, it seems to me, uh, Dick, that um, we we jumped at uh, we the United States President Trump jumped out of the WHO. Rather ab- abruptly, uh, given the history of this organization and our involvement and the level of funding that we provide, um, it, it was, I won't say it was a minor irritant because there was some concern about the, the reporting on uh, the origins of COVID-19. Um, but I don't think anybody uh, was was winning gold stars for their performance. And, in, in the early months of...
2: Uh... Well, part of it, I think, Pan, is structural. I mean, the, the, the WHO, um, the head of the WHO is a, a, a physician uh, who is well and very highly respected. In fact, he was elected to his position uh, in a secret ballot, which is the first time that that had happened in the history of the World Health Organization, and and... Mr. Trump personally kind of blamed him for not doing things better and and faster. But in reality, it was the Chinese that were involved in kind of covering up and playing down, when, you know, to quote somebody else, wanted to play it down so people didn't panic, right? And um, I think, I agree with you that, that the response by the Trump administration was not a measured response in which, somebody would issue a public paper saying, we have the following issues with the WHO and right. we, want, we want reform. It was off, off the cuff and flipping and, and we're out of here. So Yeah,
0: I, I think the, uh, the Bill of Goods was, was that uh, the WHO was catering to Beijing's position on, uh, on COVID and, and didn't uh, pursue the facts uh, as vigilantly as they should but uh, I, I agree with you that, that uh, there are better ways to deal with some decisions by some individuals within an institution than to just bail out
2: yeah i mean and, and the you're right the uh,
0: the, uh, the who is is the center for disease control for uh, dozens and dozens of countries
2: for the rest of the world almost you know unless you're yeah. in an advanced country like germany or Sweden or something of that sort, Japan. Yep. So, uh, the and we have incredible influence in that organization. I mean we, we, yeah. we provide, you know, the largest chunk of the budget comes from us and we, as I mentioned, we have 10 percent of the staffing there. So American doctors and physicians and uh, epidemiologists are rotating in and out Taking our expertise, grabbing expertise from others, so it's a it's a highly productive and synergistic kind of uh, operation. And to just, you know, say I'm mad at you and I'm out of here, and take my football and go home, kind of reminds yeah. me a little about Charlie Brownism or something, grabbing the football away from Lucy, I guess. Right? So,
0: well, you know, the um, uh, the Economist had an excellent article about uh, the WHO this this past week, and and that that kind of precipitated our our thinking on uh, this. As a good topic to cover. And they mentioned that the budget of the WHO, the annual budget, is $2.5 billion, which sounds like a lot of money. But in global health care, uh, they, uh, they mentioned that that's the size of a health department in a typical mid-sized American city. Um, and only 20% of the money that the uh, WHO gets is, uh, you know, uh, with without... Um, that doesn't contain any sort of provisions for its use that uh, the WHO can decide how to dispense that money. And the rest of the money comes in drips and drabs from 3,000 organizations that uh, put uh, caveats on, on how that money is used. So. Well,
2: and a lot of the stuff, Pat, is, is focused. For example, the uh, effort to eradicate from the from the planet. We're down to two and a half, maybe three countries where polio is still endemic. And, you know, the goal has been to get rid of it in every country, just like smallpox was eradicated. So there's a tremendous amount of effort that's going in and funding that's going in to make that happen. Tuberculosis is still a scourge in many places in the world. So a lot of this is earmarked money. And we pull out what's going to happen to those efforts to try to make the world a safer and healthier place.
0: Right, and meanwhile, the, the U.S. is also unilaterally funding some of those efforts, so it is going to get complicated.
2: Well, part of the, part of the, part of the problem, I mean, on the pandemic pandemic side, is uh, we kind of took a decentralized approach internally within the United States relative to the virus. Basically, the federal government shoved off to the states, saying, "This is your problem; you need to 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 fix it. Don't look to us." Don't come to us for our stockpile kind of stuff. That right. set off a scramble for you know California is bidding against Texas, is bidding against New York for protective equipment, for masks and things of this sort. There was no coordinated effort. Who really needs this stuff most and moving it to the person who needs it, right? And, and that same thing can happen uh, at the worldwide level as far as the vaccine is concerned. 170-some countries, so there are 193 members of the United Nations, 170 countries have signed up for this joint effort to produce the vaccine and to distribute the vaccine, which is, you know, second step. Once you've got it, how do you get it to the people who need it most in a fair Mm -hmm. and effective and rational way? And so by not being part of that, the United States said, we're gonna go it alone. We're gonna get our own va- vaccine and we're gonna do what we need to do with it. And then if we have any left over, we'll think about the rest of the world. And, and that strikes at the heart of who we are in the minds of some, right? What kind of people are we? And uh, it's gonna, gonna be an ongoing discussion.
1: Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a really tough thing too. I think we talked about it a couple of weeks ago I think there's, at least from the polls, there's overwhelming uh, American public sentiment to whatever vaccines we develop as a country that, that those folks ought to go to Americans. And if the president, any president, didn't do that, uh, there would be, there'd be some political risk to uh, handing out vaccines that otherwise would have gone to Americans, to you know, other people in the world. I understand the fairness argument, but I'm just saying there's a political aspect to it too sure. that is interesting.
0: Yeah, you them. know, and and the question is, we uh, we and and one other country, I think it's China, Dick, that uh, resisted getting involved in, in the Covax effort
2: to distribute vaccines. My understanding is China has also yeah. said they're going to go alone.
0: So um, we're outside the tent, thinking that we're going to come up with uh, pull the rabbit out of the hat in this vaccine uh, business, and there were efforts all or, all around the world. You know, Russia said they had it. And right. and that's that seems to have dissipated into, yeah right, um, <laughs> but uh, somebody you know the, the Brits or somebody who's in COVAX or these other alignments could come up with it, yeah. And and then they're gonna you know say to the United States, if if you look at this peer research study this week about how foreigners uh, people overseas look at the, the United States oh, yeah. cooperation yeah. with the United States is is not uh,
2: down.
1: Um,
0: go ahead, Brett.
1: I just want to add one other thing you all mentioned, which I think is uh, exactly right, that the, the WHO serves as sort of the CDC for uh, the majority of countries across the world that don't have the resources to have their own public health department. And as well, though, it seems to me, the WHO serves as kind of a moral uh, whisper in the ear of developed countries with lots of resources like the United States that when these things happen, that we need to do the right thing. They serve as uh, sort of an organization that tries to convince those with resources to do the right thing on behalf of those without. And I think that's a valuable role for yeah, Absolutely
2: right, Correct. Right, right. Yeah, it's like the World Food Program. For example, right? I mean, the United States stepped up and basically with the WHO took the lead in trying to control the, the Ebola outbreak in Central Africa and did it successfully. If we hadn't been involved like we were, uh, who knows how that might have spread and how many thousands of people might have died. So it's right, self-interest.
0: You, you raised the question of uh, vaccine distribution and I'll just mention, that uh, a couple of weeks ago we were involved in a two-night presentation on COVID-19 and the keynote speaker on the first night was Dr. Ezekiel Emanuel and he he gave gave, uh, really a a masterful presentation on uh, COVID-19 including what it's going to take to get the vaccine uh, produced and distributed and I I commend uh, that video uh, to anyone who has any interest in um, yeah. you know, what we're all interested in is when and how the vaccine is going to get, uh, distributed. So you're,
2: you're you are right you,
0: you can find that, uh, on our youtube.com slash TNWAC, uh, channel on, on YouTube, a, a great uh, presentation.
2: You got, got into a good discussion about, okay, so you got the, got the vaccine and you finally got enough little bottles to put it in. And then where do the, billions of syringes come from that you need to <laughs> and, and actually inject this thing. And so and the supply two... chain issues are, are incredibly complex.
0: Yeah, yeah, he, he laid it all out. There, there are two companies yeah. that, that have the technology to produce the bottles um, and then there are not enough fill and finish plants. And these fill and finish plants where they actually put the vaccine into those bottles that are hard to come by uh, have to be a hundred times more sterile than a uh, a surgical ward in a, a hospital. Uh, so this this isn't, this is not uh, put the switch, uh, what, what is it, Operation Warp Speed? Um, they, they're, gonna, they're gonna run into some meteors along the way.
1: You know, Pat, okay. one,
0: other, one other thing I
1: wanted to point out real quick, if it was okay, just as an interesting fact, as you mentioned, the budget, annual budget is about 2.5 billion. And I believe this is right, that uh, the U.S. Is, represents about 20% of that budget. But uh, the UK is second, but third place in terms of the biggest contributor to the WHO is the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And right. uh, that is an indication to me of, uh, there's a lot of blame about but among developed countries about not funding this in the way that it should be funded. And uh, it's a shame the US is pulling out, but it's also a shame that some of these other uh, countries with lots of resources don't see the benefit of this.
0: Yeah, that, no, that's good to uh, to make that point, and I, and I'll mention that uh, in the news today was the passing of Bill Gates Senior, um, Bill Gates, the Microsoft founders' father, who was uh, heavily involved in the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Uh, he was a great uh, philanthropist and uh, will be missed on the scene of yeah. the uh, the foundation. I'm sure in the direction that uh,
2: oh, oh, the foundation set. Oh, throw in a brief plug, he was also a lifelong Rotarian, member of Rotary International. Wow. And and those values of, you know, is it the truth, and is it fair to all concern, and is it Bill Goodwill, a better friendship, those values, I think he really passed on to his son, and you know, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is really doing good in the world and doing it well, so.
0: Yeah, well, it, the, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, as well as uh, Rotary and
2: yeah, Well, Rotary's taking possible- the lead on the polio thing. Been- mm-hmm. Yeah, you,
0: you talked about polio, and uh, yeah. Rotary is uh, up there at the top of organizations that that have been instrumental in, in combating polio and and other other endemic diseases around the, around the world. Correct. And and I'll, uh, I'll I'll throw a plug your way, Ambassador Dick Bowers, that uh, you were district governor of Rotary and led the, half of the state of the Tennessee Rotary Club. So. Um, you're certainly an example of the rest of us uh, for service above self.
2: Thank you, former club president, for votery. votary. <laughs> <record. laughs> <Fat and> <laughs> we'll,
0: we'll, we'll have to get Breck involved. Okay, let's uh, let's move on around the world a little bit. We're going to talk about uh, the troubles in the uh, the Mediterranean, um, and we we talked a little bit about the uh, the Turks and the Greeks. Uh, and the collisions and what was going on in the Eastern Mediterranean. We're just going to step back a little bit and and look, uh, take a bigger view of of what's going on uh, around the Mediterranean basin. And, you know, as you can see from the map here, the Mediterranean uh, touches Asia, Europe, and Africa, and the number of countries that uh, connect via this uh, critical waterway Um, You know, it's it's really like no other place in the world in terms of commerce and and, uh, interaction between the the different countries. Uh, You know, we've uh, kind of gotten beyond the refugee problem uh, from uh, northern Africa and uh, Asia towards Europe uh, in terms of uh, probably flattening the curve would be a better way to put it. In 2015, more than a million refugees from the Middle East and Africa uh, crossed the Mediterranean into Europe. Uh, they were, uh, you know, refugees and migrants fleeing violence, economic decline, uh, persecution by governments. Uh, but the numbers uh, were down in 2018 to about 116,000, and we still see in the uh, the news um, reports about uh, troubles. Uh, there was. A fire set in a refugee camp uh, in Greece on the Lesbos island that uh, made homeless, uh, I think about 13,000 people. Uh, a couple of months ago, there was a ship that uh, authorities in Malta asked to pick up refugees, and then they were not permitted to land in Italy. So they spent uh, 60 days floating around, waiting for a port to go to to discharge these refugees. And and uh, somewhat flippantly, the uh, uh, former finance minister of Nigeria uh, posed the question, "What is Nigeria's second city?" And uh, she answered, kind of with a laugh, "London." Um, so the uh, the flow of refugees continues, but it's not quite uh, as uh, as troublesome as it uh, as it had been. So refugees is is one of the uh, the issues that we're concerned about. But uh, in in the news to some extent, and, and it hasn't really been front page news for Americans because the impact on American interest is, uh, is not very severe, even though we were involved in, uh, in the start of, uh, of the troubles, uh, the United States and, and NATO countries participated in support of uh, rebels, overthrowing the regime of uh, Muammar Gaddafi. And that touched off a, a rivalry between East and West uh, there's a government of uh, uh, national accord, and that's backed by uh, most of Europe, Turkey, and Qatar. And then uh, there are rebels under General uh, Khalifa Haftar, and they uh, control mostly uh, in the east, uh, based out of Benghazi. The, the government is in Tripoli, and, and Libya traditionally has been uh, a tribal country where the east and the west uh, had their own distinct um, leadership, but they were unified un, under uh, the, uh, the central government in, in Tripoli for many years. So you, you can see there that this is, is really a uh, chaotic situation. Month by month, this uh, map of areas of control goes back and forth. Uh, the Russians have dispatched um, mercenaries under this Wagner group that they deployed to places like Syria and, and parts of Africa uh, and these are their uh, Russian contract uh, soldiers. Uh, they've even dispatched uh, uh, MiG fighters to support uh, General uh, Haftars and the, uh, the LNA. Uh, but despite that, they've, uh, they've been pushed back by the government of national accord. So it's, uh, it's really a situation where there's no decisive um, outcome uh, to be had. And it's probably time for the United Nations and European countries to uh, to get more involved uh, in in what's going on there. Uh, so that's that's one area of concern in the Mediterranean. And then then we turn to uh, the problem that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the relationship between Greece and Turkey. And we're we're going to talk a little bit more about that. We uh, we mentioned the oil exploration issues, but Greece and Turkey have for decades. Um, been conflictive over uh, control of various parts of the Aegean Sea. Uh, In uh, 1974, there was actually a war between uh, factions on the island of Cyprus, and there still remains a a line of control between the north and and the main part of Cyprus. The northern part of Cyprus is controlled by uh, Turkish-backed forces. The uh, Aegean continues to be uh, a disputed area and now uh, throw into the mix the uh, pursuit of uh, oil and gas. But you, you can see in, the, in this depiction here, this, this is, uh, if you consider that the uh, United Nations Conference on Law of the Sea, uh, UNCLOS, U-N-C-L-O-S, prescribes a 12 mile territorial limit uh, for uh, territories you can see that the uh, the Greek islands impinge up against the turkish mainland uh so it, it, it's it's uh fairly uh it's not inconceivable that there would be conflict between the two countries over control and uh, uh, and the recognition of uh, the party's sovereignty in in that area and if you add to the fact that the um, uh, UNCLOS, the uh, the, tr- the treaty, uh, prescribes a 200 mile economic exclusion zone around sovereign territory, and that uh, that is not territorial seas, but it is economic control over the seabeds, uh, the continental shelf, and mining and uh, oil exploration and so forth. So, uh, turning again to, uh, and we'll. Uh, we'll give a quick wrap up here and, and summarize what's what's going on in the uh, uh, the news these days. The exploration of oil and gas, and there have been some major um, finds in the Eastern Mediterranean, and everyone is hustling to uh, to get uh, their claims. And a lot of the uh, uh, a lot of the demarcations uh, between countries in the uh, the open seas. We're not clear, and uh, recently Greece and Egypt signed a deal where they have marked uh, their uh, territorial seas and economic exclusion zone, as you can see in that map. But around Cyprus, there are still conflicted zones, uh, Turkey making certain claims. You can see in the uh, cent- center of that map, uh, a- an island called uh, Castello Orizo. Uh, that is actually a Greek island and you can see the, the red line there depicting the Greek uh, sea claims right up against Turkey. Uh, so this is uh, a, obviously an area where uh, there's concerns between uh, conflict. There was a collision between warships between Greece and Turkey. The French have been very uh, forward leaning in sending uh, French warships to the area. The, uh, the Turks who are not part of the European Union um, they're, uh, they're concerned about their sea claim, uh, but the, uh, the European Union wants to make sure that they've, they've got access to uh, especially gas that might be uh, discovered in the area. So this is a, a continuing area of concern. And uh, that, that small island, Castellarrizo, you can see in this depiction, it's that uh, red uh, marker. Uh, off the southern coast of Turkey. So you can see how close the Greek claims are uh, to the Turk, uh, Turkish mainland. Uh, the, uh, the chart on the, the left is just a depiction of the uh, UN Conference on Law of the Sea um, uh, zone claims. And you can see there that territorial waters are 12 nautical miles uh, from a, a, a territory. Um, and then the, the contiguous zone uh, is another 12 miles. So this is the area that uh, the, the territorial waters are, are 12 nautical miles, but this EEZ, the Economic Exclusion Zone, goes out to 200 miles. So this is the area where a country has sovereign control over the seabed and so forth. It's international waters, but which means that ships can sail through there, uh, but uh, no one can send a, a research ship uh, like this one into someone else's EEZ. So uh, with all these islands and claims, it's it's really a thorny issue and uh, something that we uh, hope to see a little less uh, confrontation over. I, uh, I, I hope that wasn't too tedious, but just to point out that uh, we've got some stormy uh, waters in the Mediterranean. I, have I think a you're on mute there. Go
1: ahead, Brad. Folks, oh, so I had a question, Pat. Uh, Turkey's been in the news a lot over the last uh, 12 to 24 months, uh, and of course it's a member of NATO, but it's been uh, acting in ways that have not been collaborative in many instances with its NATO partners like the buying the air defense system from uh, Russia, and uh, going into uh, Kurdish areas in Syria, as you just talked about, the eastern Mediterranean, uh, in your crystal ball, uh, does Turkey remain a member of NATO over time, or, and is this sort of just uh, uh, not something that necessarily is going to foretell the future, or is, is, are these antagonisms going to continue?
0: I think they're gonna continue. I don't uh, see a major, you know, people within the NATO community uh, have been deeply disturbed by uh, two things. Uh, you pointed out the acquisition of Russian hardware and in particular the S 400 uh, surface air air defense system, which, um, you know, Turkey has been buying NATO um, configured equipment you know, the, the, the stuff that NATO uses uh, is standardized among NATO nations down to the, the bullets, you know, the 7.62 NATO round and a right long rifle, a long gun uh, up to surface theory missile systems. So these things are, are uh, specified to NATO standards. So acquiring Russian equipment and trying to put that into a, uh, uh, a system of air defense around the country is, is a problem. Um, it also opens the door to Russian technicians having access to Turkish air defense systems and cooperative NATO networks. So that's a significant issue. The other issue for NATO has been the fact that NATO is a, uh, a security pact among democratic nations. And Turkey has been edging towards uh, you know pushing the edge of the envelope there. Uh, Mr. Erdogan has, uh, you know, in response to... A coup has, has locked up uh, tens tens of thousands of um, military officers, professors. Uh, he's used it as a, a way to crack down on dissidents. Uh, so the the democratic values of the Turkish government are waning to some extent. And that's a problem for, for NATO uh, as well. But it would be complicated to expel Turkey from NATO. And I think uh, Europeans would rather have Turkey connected, they don't want them to become part of the European Union uh, because of the economic impact and uh, migrant flows, etc. cetera. But uh, to keep them in NATO probably provides a useful way uh, to remain engaged in what's going on in Turkey. Uh, you're, you're right, uh, in the past couple of years, we've seen many examples where Turkey has acted in a way that uh, was counter to interest in the West. And I think Erdogan has, has publicly uh, pushed a position where he's not under the thrall of, of uh, Western societies and has been moving to the East. He's major made uh, major allies with, uh, with Qatar. Um, Qatar, the uh, Arab Gulf state that has problems with its own neighbors. Uh, Turkey has sent troops there to, to back up that government um, so Erdogan is moving Turkey in a different direction than it had traditionally occupied in the decades where it was uh, a bulwark of the southeast NATO flank against uh, the p- potential for Soviet expansion. But I think, I think we'll probably see it uh, continue to antagonize its NATO partners, but uh, not to the point where there's a major effort to expel it from NATO.
2: I agree, Pat, but you know, I, I, I don't know in the long run how long the Turkish populace is going to stay with Erdogan. Um, a lot of it had to do, I think, with the, the economic aspects of life was better for many, many Turks as a result of his economic policies. But yeah. I, I don't think they, uh, I know a lot of Turks and, and they are not ready to become hardcore Muslim fanatics. So they want they want that connection to the West, but I think you're right. mean, you know, the, the idea of joining the European Community is not not on the table at all these days. So that's a dead. Yeah, issue. I,
0: I I don't think um, fanatics would be the right word. I I think there's clearly a move in the Turkish society under Erdogan to uh, push back against the uh, the secular. Uh, motivations of the government and the society and embrace uh, Islam in a more direct way. We saw that with the uh, uh, transfer of the uh, thousand-year-old
2: Hagia
0: Sophia Sophia in Istanbul, which had been a secular, uh, basically a museum piece, uh, an incredible piece of uh, architecture uh, that uh, I've I've been privileged to pay a visit to, is now a mosque, and it's a, a functioning mosque, uh, 24/7, and some some other uh, architectural sites there that were treasures of of the world have been turned back over to uh, to be used as uh, as mosque. So that's uh, that's an internal decision, obviously, um, but uh, clearly Erdogan is uh, using uh, Islam as as a tool to uh, uh, to his benefit.
2: All right. Okay. I think we hit uh, them, all three of them, right? We Those did. Those topics?
0: Yep. And uh, we appreciate people. Uh, I'm going to go watch
2: in. Hippo eat a watermelon. That's <laughs> <laughs> I'll
1: send you the link.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, first. Well, I, they, they'll, 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 the algorithm will find me very quickly, I think, right? Don't, well,
1: <laughs> that probably will. Yeah, it should. It sure should.
0: Well, yeah. Uh, I, I can't top that, but let's let's take a look at uh, the uh, the question of the week, and and Breck has got an, an answer for us. Um,
1: right. The question was, uh, Pat, uh, which company, which company, which country followed the United Arab Emirates in its decision to normalize relations with Israel? And the answer is D, Bahrain.
0: Okay, and there uh, there on the map is uh, uh, Qatar, right next to Bahrain. Uh, It uh, is kind of the thumb sticking out from Saudi Arabia, one of the six countries of the Gulf Cooperation Council, the GCC. And uh, currently Bahrain is uh, along with Saudi Arabia and um, uh, Jordan and UAE uh, are at odds with Qatar over a number of issues. So that might be something else we cover in the news here in uh, in the future with the Global News Review. And uh, thank you, uh, gentlemen, for, for coming out today. Breck, uh, batting down the hatches. Uh, we hope that the, the rain clears out and you have sunny skies for your return to Nashville. And well, Dick, don't, don't spend too much time with the hippo videos.
2: <laughs> I'm sure there's something else on there, you know, co, you know, cuddly koala bears. I mean, whatever you think of is on there, probably. Right? Um, All right, guys, enjoyed it. Enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Okay, we will
0: uh, see you, Breck, tomorrow evening in, uh, in your program. Uh, Foreign Policy Challenges Russia, North Korea, and Afghanistan. And again, a reminder to everyone, uh, please take a look at uh, tnwac.org for our calendar, our newsletter, sign up. And please also consider becoming a member or making a gift to uh, the World Affairs Council. That's it. Uh, Thank you, gentlemen. We will see you next week.
1: Thanks.